Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. In Sacramento this week, the streets filled with people who were really angry about the police shooting of Stephon Clark last year. And they were outraged over the Sacramento District Attorney's decision not to prosecute the two officers who shot and killed him. Then, just a couple of days after that, California's Attorney General Javier Becerra came out with his decision not to prosecute. Our investigation has concluded that no criminal charges against the officers involved in the shooting can be sustained. Now people are asking why the officers aren't going to be prosecuted and whether anything will ever change. I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to The Bay. The district attorney in Sacramento, Anne-Marie Schubert, decided to release this long-awaited investigation into the Stephon Clark shooting uh, at noon on a rainy Saturday. When we look at all of these facts, we look at all of it, everything. We ask our question that we started out with again. Was a crime committed? Marisa Lagos is a political correspondent for KQED. She spoke for nearly an hour, I believe, outlining her office's decision not to charge the officers in this case with any sort of crime, including murder. There's no question that a human being died. But when we look at the facts and the law and we follow our ethical responsibilities, the answer to that question is no. Essentially saying that under the law, she believes that they acted reasonably. Obviously, people weren't happy about this, but what was the reaction to that? There's a lot of anger. It's still a very raw situation up there in Sacramento. Um, His family's been very outspoken. I would like for the attorney general to prosecute the officers. I would like for uh, Chief Daniel Hahn to recommend to the city manager to fire these officers. I would like accountability. If officers get away with things like this, then it, it makes it seem like it's okay in our communities. People kind of felt like this was coming. We know that we have very sort of wide ranging latitude for officers. And I think that there was this sense that yet again, in their minds, police officers are getting away with what they think is murder. We saw protests in Sacramento. And then we saw another round on Monday night where the Sacramento Police Department essentially Protesters say sort of corralled them onto a place where they couldn't disperse and then arrested dozens of people, including clergy, men and women, and some reporters. Sacramento police say they made more than 80 arrests last night during a protest over prosecutors' decision not to charge officers in the shooting death of Stefan Clark. 
And then on Tuesday morning, we heard from the state's attorney general, Javier Becerra. Based on our review of the facts and evidence in relation to the law, I'm here to announce today that our investigation has concluded that no criminal charges against the officers involved in the shooting can be sustained. He outlined similar reasons and essentially said, with the current laws, what these officers did was justified and lawful. There's a, there's a, a young man who's no longer alive with two sons who won't have a father, whose mother I just met with who's grieving. Of course it was a tough call. These are all tough calls. It's never easy. Um, but we have to do the job that's put before us. So we've heard this story before, and I think that a lot of people feel there's just something not right about how many police officers get to go free after these killings. So why don't prosecutors go after police in these cases? It's the legal standard. What the DA and the attorney general are saying is that these police officers were sort of in the situation where they were asked to make a split-second decision. They were in a dark backyard in this case. Um, They had reason to believe that Stefan Clark had committed some crimes, broken some car windows and and done some vandalism. He had a cell phone in his hand. And what essentially the attorney general said is that it was dark and they couldn't see what that was. It was reasonable for them to think that that was a weapon or a gun. For a homicide to be justified, the person who has committed the homicide must have reasonably believed that she or someone else was in imminent danger of being killed or suffering great bodily injury, according to the law, the law that we must apply in this case. We give officers a lot of latitude, and we have laws dating back to the 1870s that essentially say that if uh, it is reasonable for a police officer to believe someone is a threat, if they're suspected of a felony and are fleeing, that they can be shot at and deadly force may be used. I know there have been a lot of discussions in Sacramento and just across the country about ways to change these laws. So what is California doing in this moment when in Sacramento and, you know, a lot of these lawmakers' backyards, this shooting happened and everybody in the state is watching this case? So what's being debated in Sacramento is whether this idea that you know, a reasonable fear on the part of officers that somebody's dangerous or that they're fleeing for a suspected felony is a high enough standard to necessitate the use of deadly force. What Shirley Weber, who wrote this bill and others are wanting to do, including actually Kevin McCarty, who's a Sacramento area assemblyman, is change that to necessary. This legislation is informed by police policing best practices and aimed at saving the lives of many Californians. AB 392 will authorize officers to use deadly force only when it is necessary to prevent imminent and serious serious bodily injury or death. This means that they may use force only if there is no reasonable alternative, including warnings, verbal persuasion, or other non-lethal methods of resolution or de-escalation. If the bill that is on the table is passed, will it get to the nuance between an accidental shooting and an officer meant to shoot and kill with malice? I think this law by Shirley Weber is trying to get at that by saying, not is it reasonable for you to be scared, but is it absolutely necessary for you to pull the trigger? And so that could, I think, 
open up a lot of gray areas in these shootings for prosecutors to look a little more deeply at the bigger situation and why an officer decided that that was their only option when right now they just have the latitude to say, look, I felt like I was in danger. And it does open the door up, I think you could say, to a lot of these charges of malice, of race um, being a part of it, you know, of assumptions being made that are not necessarily things that somebody's going to admit to later. But it's even deeper pain if you're African-American and Latino because you know that all things can go right and yet they go wrong. That they can be in the right place, they can say the right thing, they can have the right attitude when approached by an officer and still find themselves in situations that take their lives. That is unacceptable in California, that is unacceptable anywhere, and because of that we're offering AB 392... Would this new law address what people are upset about, which is black men, people of color, are being shot by police in disproportionate numbers? Clearly, the flashpoint for the public is the race context here. And I don't think we should ignore that. But you can't, in most of these cases, sort of say that we can look into the hearts and minds of an officer and really get a solid answer that a jury could convict on on whether or not, you know, that was the the reason they shot. There are usually extenuating circumstances here. It is in those extenuating circumstances that the gray area lies. And that is what I think this legislation is trying to get at. If we're going to give you the responsibility to have a gun and the ability to legally use deadly force, it better be your last option and the only option. Right now, that is not the way the law is written. What's been the police unions and the police officers' response to this law? They came up with an alternative bill that's being carried by a state senator from Salinas on a caballero. And this would essentially create statewide policies and standards around police use of force. Right now, there's kind of a patchwork of policies for every different department. This would create one policy around the state and would also give some more money for training. I'm not sure that advocates on the other side of this would oppose what's happening here. But I think that what they're going to say is this is in no way enough. I feel like people have been talking more and more about implicit bias, which is in almost everything that we do. And we talk about systemic racism. Do you think that is changing our culture enough so that now we're seeing laws changing or at least laws being challenged? Yeah, I mean, I would say the biggest shift is that there was, I would argue, 10 years ago when I first started covering Sacramento, just a sort of like blanket deference. Like if police said something was not good for them, a lot of people would just take that at face value. I think there's a lot more pushback now. And there's a lot more questions about whether or not the current system is good for police or the public when you have this distrust and this sense of, you know, bias and unfairness. Also, you mentioned 10 years ago, that's essentially the anniversary of the police shooting of Oscar Grant, which was caught on video. And video has played an enormous role in the public perception of how police officers react and use their force and use their power with the public and people of color. Really, that is the biggest sort of tangible thing that has happened is that not just lawmakers, but we have deferred a lot to police in the media. We know now, because everyone has a video camera, that one side of the story is not always correct. I mean, look at the shooting that happened in Chicago a few years ago and the successful conviction of an officer there. I know here in San Francisco, the district attorney, George Gascon, came out after the shooting of Maury Woods in Bayview back in 2015, 
saying that he supports the police reforms bill, the AB 392, the one that's trying to make it easier to prosecute police officers who shoot, shoot and kill people. But I don't know. How important is that? I mean, I think it's significant anytime you have a member of law enforcement saying these things. Um, Gascon was pretty clear in the Mario Wood shooting that he did not feel like he could make criminal charges under the law, but that he didn't feel right about that. Well, clearly under the law today, no crime has occurred. That answer was very unsatisfactory for me, morally and as a human being. You know, Gascon is the DA in San Francisco. He's very progressive. He has supported a lot of broader criminal justice reforms that his colleagues in law enforcement have not. He's never been afraid to take on the police, even when he was police chief. So I think it's helpful, but it's not going to be a game changer for folks, say, from the Central Valley, Los Angeles, even San Diego, who might have a sheriff or DA there saying the opposite. So what's going to push us over the edge then? So I think that politically the question is going to be both whether law enforcement engages, whether there is any potential deal that both sides can live with. I really do think if there is true engagement from the governor's office, from the attorney general's office, from the leadership in in the legislature, that that's going to be the best sort of opportunity for something to actually get done this year. Marisa Lagos is a political correspondent for KQED. The protests continued into Thursday with hundreds of Sacramento students walking out of class. We came from Sacramento City College, we marched to Sac High, we grabbed our Sac High schoolers and go marched out with us to the state capitol. Federal authorities, including the U.S. Justice Department, say they plan to do their own investigation to see if the shooting violated Stephon Clark's civil rights. Also, we have this update for you on an episode that we ran back in December. It was a story about a mom from Guatemala who's seeking asylum and living in Pinole. Her son Vladimir was not living with her, but he was trying to cross the border and seek asylum himself. Frida's been following the family and says Vladimir and Veronica are now together in Pinole, both awaiting their asylum hearings. To listen to the update on that story, subscribe to the California Report magazine. And if you'd like to hear the original episode, that can be found at kqed.org slash The Bay. The Bay was produced this week by Ryan Levy, Amanda Font, Peter Arcuni, and our editor, Eric Aguilar. The KQED leadership team includes Julie Kane, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. We're made by your local public radio station located in San Francisco. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you next week. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randal Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. 
That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.